0: Hey, it's Guy Raz here, host of How I Built This with a quick recommendation. Every holiday weekend comes with a lot of waiting, traffic, airport security lines. And so while you're waiting, why don't you just binge on How I Built This? Each episode, I speak with a founder of a company who has an incredible story of how it all began. You can find How I Built This on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: In recent years, podcasts have become part of the zeitgeist. There have been about a million think pieces written about them. Comedy shows have spoofed them. And there's even a TV show on the horizon based on the Gimlet podcast, Startup.
2: Why should I invest in your podcast company? It's the Cadillac of podcast companies. The people use Cadillac as a reference? <laughs> Alex, listen. Who are you and what are you doing? Go.
1: But there has never been a feature film about podcasting. Until now. Women Who Kill is about a pair of ex-girlfriends who host a true crime podcast together, specifically a podcast about female serial killers. Killed 12 of your students and used their bodies as fertilizer on the azaleas in your greenhouse. You don't call that shock value? Oh, honey, no. I call that love. The film is written and directed by Ingrid Youngerman, who also stars in the film.
3: Women Who Kill is essentially a a love triangle movie. Um, And it's about a couple of true crime podcasters that are ex-girlfriends. They live together. They work together. um, So they have this sort of codependent relationship. And then one of them, the character that I play, Morgan, um, meets a new woman and falls for her pretty hard and fast. And Mm -hmm. so as that relationship continues, the the ex-girlfriends start to think that maybe she is a murderer as well. (laughs) Okay. Is super true to life, I'd imagine, for most people.
1: I I can't tell you how many murderers I've dated. It's really crazy. I know. And it's getting worse. Actually, I've never dated any murderers that I know of. Anyway, Youngerman wanted her main characters to be working on a project together. And podcasting made the most sense.
3: These two characters, as I was writing and rewriting, started out as grad students, which was pretty boring. And then that evolved into them being uh, a couple of writers working on a nonfiction book. Um, but then after I listened to Serial, uh, I just it was became very clear to me that that's what they needed to do and that I hadn't really seen that yet.
1: Serial was an inspiration for younger men, not only because of the story itself, but...
3: It also was a very kind of old-school way of storytelling that reminded me a little bit of when radio was starting and and actors were telling stories over the radio and so it sort of reminded me of that a little bit. Um, And also just paying attention to the obsessive sort of binge-worthy quality of it, which I think a lot of TV has also become.
1: I'm Lauren Ober, and from WAMU and NPR, this is The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts. Each week on The Big Listen, we introduce you to podcasts you might not have heard of, and we give you the inside scoop on shows you already love. Before Ingrid Youngerman could make her feature film, Women Who Kill, she had to do a lot of prep. And part of that prep was listening to podcasts.
3: I think there was like a list of five where I just wanted to listen to the cadence.
1: She figured her main characters, true crime podcasters Morgan and Jean, would have a public radio sound to their narration and their diction. There's sort of more NPR
3: types as far as the way they talk. Um, I feel like their demographic would be sort of like the serial or NPR demographic. I'm Morgan. I'm Jean.
1: And we are Women Who Kill. We're going to hear more from Ingrid Youngerman about her film in a bit, but now we're going to turn our attention to a different kind of production. It's called The Nod, and it's all about the many dimensions of the black experience.
2: From Gimlet Media, this is The Nod. And you are here with blackness's
4: biggest fans.
1: That's Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings. They co-host the show, and they're interested in exploring all kinds of narrative stories that touch on Black American identity. Stories about reality television, hair accessories, and even the Black erotica author, Zane. Okay, so, like, I don't have a sex YouTube channel. Okay. (laughs) Right?
4: But, like, when I discovered Zane's writing, like, it just kind of, like, washed away a lot of, like, the really terrible ideas that I got about sex, like, growing up and as a teenager— she kind of made me feel like there was like another way forward.
1: Brittany and Eric, co-hosts of the Nod, welcome to the Big Listen. Thank you. Yes, thanks.
2: Excited to be here.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so you guys, uh, you guys were hosts of the very popular podcast for Colored Nerds, and I gather from that that you guys have known each other for a long time, right? How'd you meet? <laughs> Too long. <laughs> well, actually, the story of how we met—basically,
4: we met each other drinking at a party in college?
2: Yeah. And then we kind of just got stuck. Yeah.
1: It's been like 12 <laughs> years. So. <laughs> yeah, but this. it seems like it's it's 12 years of magic, really.
2: Well, that's, I mean, that's one way to look at it. I yeah. mean, we, our our friendship is one, you know, that's very like familial in the yes. sense. So, yes. like, you know, I mean, what you call magic, we call a lot of arguments and making up. <laughs> right. But but yeah, it's been you know, it's been great.
1: So so you did that project together, but now you have a new project with Gimlet called The Nod. What's the name all about?
2: It's like, uh, I mean, it comes from like what is often like lovingly referred to as like the uh, the Negro nod. Um, but basically <laughs> it's just like when, usually when two black people see each other in a space, like there's like an acknowledgement. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a subtle tilt of the head yeah. uh, that has like just like been with us for a long time. A long time. Yeah. Uh, and so we saw that as like, we, we kind of love the feel that feeling, that like feeling of familiarity, mm-hmm. you know, of like community, of comfort. Um, and that's kind of what we're trying to bring to the show, so we mm-hmm. thought it fits. Mm-hmm. And also, it's like a it's like a nod to Black culture.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In 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 my estimation, your show is like the first podcast to take a like a deep narrative journalistic dive into Black life in America and sort of all of its complexity. And I wonder what the inspiration was for the show. Um, that's a really interesting question because it's like.
4: Like, inspiration is such a funny word in this context because it's, like, what we are reporting on with and on the stories that we're telling are so much a part of just the things that we're naturally interested in. And, and, and in some cases, like, things that are just, you know, as simple as, like, commonplace household objects that, you know, that we've had some relationship to for our entire lives. Like, in the case of the episode that we made about do-rags, like there's the, it's, it's like almost difficult to really pinpoint any particular source of inspiration. It's sort of like the show is an extension of the conversations that we have with each other and with our friends and families, but also like of just our particular curiosities about like, you know, where where exactly we, you know, even shaped this whole thing called identity.
1: Now, in, in your show, I like that um, that you say that you are blackness's biggest fans, and <laughs> I wonder what that actually means.
2: Well, I mean, the thing about it is, I think we have a, a very kind of yes and approach to blackness in the mm-hmm. sense that like, it's it's inclusive. And you know, we love, like, we, we genuinely have a love and appreciation for all parts of it. And so, in that, in the in the sense that we're telling these stories or, you know, uh, and leading people through black culture, like, we really are, like, champions of it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's, it's, it's, it's pretty legit. Yeah,
4: like, we're, <laughs> we're like, we're happy to be here, man. It's <laughs> <We're> just like, <laughs> like we're, we're like the fact that I get to wake up every day and be black is just such a beautiful and exciting thing. And but professionally, you also get to be professionally black now, too.
2: Yeah. I,
1: I mean, I was professionally black
2: before. Right? But, it's no, always but, been work. You
1: know, you, know, you know what I mean? Like that is your like your your job now is is basically a sort of delving deeply into aspects of black culture that maybe like you had questions about or or mm-hmm. you didn't, you know, maybe you, you wanted to know more about and now you get paid to do it. Yeah,
2: yeah, and that's I mean honestly it's been it's been fascinating. Like I actually had to we uh you Brittany mentioned this episode we did on do-rags, but like while recording I had to stop and I'd be like Wait, this is actually just a this is a nice moment. Like, yeah. like I'm reminiscing <laughs> about do rags, and like you're you're paying me to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's always a, it's a great feeling.
4: Yeah. I know you have a favorite do rag memory.
2: Oh yeah, uh, it's a uh, Cameron on Rap City, the basement, mm. the moment when he freestyles. Mm. This was a very significant moment in my life, if I'm being honest. <laughs>
4: Please share, so, with class. share with the glass. Share with
2: the glass. I'm just going to pull it up real quick. Dipset. Rhapsody to the basement. So he had on this beautiful, luscious, like, short sleeve, Kooji shirt. Mm, I see this. Very pink. Um, And he's got a white do-rag with a pink bucket hat over it. And he's got the beautiful, like, big Eagle Dipset chain. Oh, my gosh. Crazy earrings. Like, I mean, the earrings is size of a postage stamp. Yes. Yes. Got to be. Got to be full of diamonds. And a big stack of money in his hands. <laughs> like this man is money in this moment he is success you know and like it was all like ac- accentuated by like by his do right it was a
1: beautiful moment you cover this this particular Hair accessory um, and the sort of bigger picture of it, and then you, you know, in one of your leadoff episodes, you guys are also talking about sex, particularly um, this uh, this African American erotica writer named Zane. Now, I was unfamiliar with Zane, so maybe first you could just tell us, because I'm guessing that there are a couple of other people listening who might not know who Zane is, uh, who she is.
2: So Zane is an Iconic, Mm -hmm. and I don't think that word is misused in this case. Mm -mm. Uh, She's an iconic Black erotica author who's been writing for, I want to say over 20 years now, um, Black erotic fiction. And her books are like passed along, often in secret. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But they have kind of come to symbolize like this adventurousness in your sex life that a lot of Black people maybe have or wish they could have. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's very popular as a result.
4: Yes, right. insanely popular. So when I say the name Zane to you, like the author, mm-hmm. what comes to mind? Mmm, mmm.
1: Kinky, freaky,
4: um, naughty, dirty. Mmm, oh, all of her books are very interesting. <laughs> yes. So you guys have, you read
5: her stuff? I was reading her stuff when I wasn't supposed to read her stuff. My mom has like a Zane collection <laughs> and I was stealing her books and I'm like, oh my God.
4: Just reading about different places you can have sex. You're like, okay, it's some enjoyment in there.
1: It's not all about reproduction. It can be fun. I loved uh, knowing that she existed or exists um, and then also what she meant to so many people particularly black women who were trying to find themselves in in these stories but what I liked about the story itself was a larger conversation about the ways in which black women have been sexualized in this country and mm-hmm. I wonder maybe you can sort of walk us through that a little bit and what you were trying to say with that episode well I mean well, I feel like this
4: is probably about like I think American attitudes in general about sex are, are a little bit arcane. Right. <laughs> I think we could I think we could be doing a lot better. Um, and I think that that the, our attitudes about sex cast most people in very rigid roles. And I think that for black women that goes tenfold or even a thousandfold. And something that Zane did that I think is so important is, you know, and I discovered her in my teens, which like I wasn't doing any of the stuff that was described in the book, <laughs> but w- I think without realizing it, reading her work was the first time, like she, that I saw black female sexuality and like black female sexual agency centered. Mm-hmm. Like if a black woman is at the center of the narrative, she's controlling what's happening around her.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like painting a picture of, of fully expressed people who Mm -hmm. are, who have many layers and desires and interests. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think your job perhaps seems kind of daunting um, because, you know, there are a million different directions you can go because, you know, blackness, black culture here in America is not monolithic certainly. And um, and so, you know, how are you determining what types of stories you want to unpack?
2: I actually don't see it as daunting. I I mean, I think we both are kind of excited by that prospect. Mm -hmm. Uh You know, like it it just means that the opportunities are so broad. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, In terms of what we lean towards, you know, in terms of our interests, I think I honestly think a lot of it is is Surprise and things Mm -hmm. that people often discount. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, Zane, you know, like it's, you know, it's an erotica novel. Like, you know, typically those are not this is not high literature, you know, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And people would discount that. But like that, that literature and Zane's approach to it does real work. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, we wanted to dive back into that conversation and say, hey, no, no, like this, like she deserves some serious respect here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think those are the those are the stories we often want to fight for. Mm-hmm. But that said, we're also kind of looking for kind of the more, I guess, minute or mundane things like mm-hmm. it's an opportunity to tell like a like a like hit every bucket like that. For me, that's super exciting.
1: Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings are the co hosts of The Nod from Gimlet Media. To find out more about their show, check out biglisten.org. Now, remember our pal Ingrid Youngerman from the top of the show? She's the writer, director, and star of a feature film about a pair of true crime podcasters. They host the fictional show called Women Who Kill. Youngerman's character Morgan co hosts the podcast with her ex girlfriend Jean, played by Ann Carr. For the show, they interview convicted killers.
3: So we should get started. For each episode, we interview a female murderer to get her side of things. Who else have you interviewed? We got a chance to speak with Josephine Walker right before she died. She's the one who clipped the lady's nails right before she stabbed them in the heart. She was good. A little heavy on the methodology, but I respect her conviction.
1: That's actor Annette O'Toole playing a creepy college professor turned serial killer.
3: We also had a, a great chat actually with Debbie Kane. Oh, there's an overrated
5: She had a higher victim count than you do.
3: Sweetheart, if I was going for quantity over quality, I would have taught at community college. Debbie is one of the most notorious female serial killers who have ever lived. I went to community college. Debbie is an entitled who stole a bunch of babies and tossed them in the trunk
1: of Revolvo. The movie is campy and satiric and a perfect send-up of a lot of groups of people. Podcasters, Brooklynites, food co-op members, lesbians, cyclists, all of which Youngerman happens to be, except a podcaster. But she's an indie filmmaker, so that's close enough for me. All the things that I am part of
3: and, and do do, uh, essentially, were things that I wanted to poke fun at. Mostly because I'm part of that. And I think the best comedy is when you can make fun of yourself first.
1: The film is a rom-com wrapped in a light thriller. But it also has a darker side, which I can't exactly reveal now without totally ruining the movie. For a queer person
3: growing up in a place where you're not supposed to love the people that you love, there's a darkness about love immediately. And there's a guilt and a shame, especially being... Uh, raised in a religious family, um, that that automatically goes with your feelings, um, and I think because of that history that I have and my associations with love and queerness and that self-loathing you have to work through means that love looks quite different for us.
1: We're going to take a quick break now but stick with us because later we'll hear from LeVar Burton, the legend behind Reading Rainbow, about why he's always enjoyed reading aloud.
5: For me it is pretty pure storytelling and I love that intimacy of telling a story To one person.
1: But first, we're going to dive into the wide world of sports with the host of ESPN's 30 for 30 podcast, Jody Avergan.
0: The whole ethos is really to tell sports stories, mostly historical sports stories, and revisit them and add layers of complexity, talk about the cultural impact, the societal impact. It's not about stick and ball, what happens on the field.
1: That's coming up next. Don't go anywhere or else. Just kidding. (laughs) This is NPR.
3: This is Sarah from Bismarck, North Dakota, and I would like to recommend the podcast Philosophize This. It's a very good podcast for people interested in philosophy.
2: So consciousness is freedom, right? I mean, it sounds like one of those things you'd say, "Ooh, consciousness is freedom. And people would be like, "Hmm, yeah, no, I, I totally get where he's coming from there. But do you really?
1: And it tackles a lot of
4: very deep and usually quite intense subjects
2: a little more difficult than you might initially think to actually prove the existence of the (laughs) external physical world. Tons of thinkers have taken a crack at it, but the problems all begin in the same place. The problem is, once you make that distinction between consciousness and the world, it becomes extremely difficult to say with any level of certainty that what you're perceiving is really the world, and not
5: just the world as it appears to you.
1: And I highly recommend that. Thank you. Have a good day. Hey, pals. Welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and Sarah from Bismarck, North Dakota, loves the show Philosophize This. But what do you love? Let us know on the pod line. The number is 202-885-POD1. I actually cannot wait for your message. In 2009, ESPN began airing a series of documentary films in celebration of the Sports Network's 30th anniversary. They called the series 30 for 30, 30 films made by 30 filmmakers to commemorate 30 years of ESPN. The series has continued over the years well beyond the original 30 films. They have explored everything from Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova's friendship to Dewey Bozella's reign as the light heavyweight boxing champ of Sing Sing Prison to the rise of sports radio jocks Mike and the Mad Dog.
5: For nearly 20 years, they were the gold standard.
4: But, it's, but the owners
1: don't want that, Mike. All
4: of the thousand stations that do sports talk owe their birth to Mike and the Mandel.
1: Naturally, with the boom in podcasts, it made sense to turn the successful franchise into an audio show. The 30 for 30 podcast is hosted by Jody Avergan and features stories about decathletes Stan and Dave, an all women's trek to the North Pole, and the guys behind those Yankee Suck t shirts, to name a few.
0: The Yankees represent pinstripes, like, you know, Wall Street, Rudy Giuliani, like everything that sucks.
1: Jody Avergan host of the 30 for 30 podcast, who does not suck. Welcome to The Big Listen.
0: Thank you for having me on. And uh, hello to WAMU, which is my hometown uh, public radio station. Oh, uh, you are a you are a D.C. native. Indeed. So if my parents are listening, which is likely, hello, (laughs) I will (laughs) call you soon.
1: (laughs) Hi, hi Jody's mom and dad. Um, So are you does that make you a Washington sports fan?
0: No. Well, man, I had to I have to do this in um, kind of wh- hushed tones when I was growing up in okay. the D.C. DC area. Uh, but I'm actually a Philly sports fan because that's oh. my dad is from Philadelphia. So I'm oh. an Eagles, Sixers Flyers uh, Penn State uh, fan um, mm. and Phillies.
1: So uh, is that what you are um,
0: as a general fan is that what sort
1: of drew you to the idea of this podcast?
0: Um no, I mean, I am mostly, you know, I'm a sports fan, but I am mostly interested in good stories yeah. and trying to kind of find new ways to tell interesting stories. And the whole 30 for 30 ethos is that it's not about stick and ball, what happens on the field, play by play. It's really about the characters and the emotion mm-hmm. and the larger cultural and societal and political impact. The thing you hear all the time when people talk about 30 for 30 films is, oh, I'm not a sports fan, but I love 30 for 30. Right. Uh, But then sports fans also really love them too. So you get that great Venn diagram. But the whole ethos is really to tell sports stories, mostly historical sports stories, And revisit them and add layers of complexity, talk about the cultural impact, the societal impact. Yeah.
1: When you were talking about, you know, sort of trying to tell different types of stories, I was thinking that one of the things I've always appreciated about the 30 for 30 film franchise and and now also I think your, your podcast series is that it doesn't give women... You know, short shrift in the way that I think a lot of other sports media can. As a as a former female athlete, I really appreciate that. But maybe you can talk a little bit about um, the on the
0: ice episode. This is a story of um, twenty amateur British women who all went to the North Pole. Uh, none of them had really, certainly none of them had gone to the North Pole before. Some of them had like not really done anything athletic before.
1: On March fourteenth. 1997, a group of British ladies set out to be the first all-women's team to reach the North Pole. These women weren't experienced adventurers. They were ordinary women, complete amateurs. Some of them didn't even realize that the top
5: of our planet was made of ice, not land, until they set out to reach it. And they set out to reach it because of an ad in a newspaper.
4: I was on the Tube, going to work, and I saw an advert saying women wanted to walk to the North Pole.
1: August 1995, London. The classified ads of the Daily Telegraph.
4: Applications are invited from women of any age, background and occupation, but they will have to prove fitness and commitment. They will have to put up with real pain and discomfort. They will wonder every 10 steps what they are doing, but they have an opportunity to take part in an epic adventure.
0: This trip really did change a lot of these people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I won't give away kind of the the kicker of this story, but one of them yeah. had a kind of pretty radical transformation, which mm-hmm. really kind of ties it up. Yeah. Ties it up nicely.
1: So uh, I would love to talk about Dan and Dave. Dan won the decathlon at the World
0: Track and Field Championships. Dave won the decathlon at the Goodwill Games. In 1992, in the run up to the Barcelona Summer Olympics, there was a massive ad campaign by Reebok. Featuring two decathletes, Dan O'Brien, Dave Johnson. And the mm-hmm. whole campaign was Dan versus Dave. I remember people really being confused at first, and then eventually they, they were going, man, that is genius. They were
2: talking about how amazing that, that Reebok thought of doing small little commercials all the way to where there's a culmination of what they really were talking about. And that's these two athletes that are going to go to the Olympics this year, and it's going to be settled in Barcelona.
1: But you know what the thing is, all these many years later, like I couldn't tell you what shoe company it was. Your story, you know, the sort of sub story of this is sort of about the business of sports Mm -hmm. and how it may or may not have played a role in the
0: ultimate outcome of their rivalry. When you think about a company like Reebok, you know, the story of (laughs) Reebok, unfortunately, is futile attempt after attempt to catch Nike. Yeah. Uh, And this was one of those big big moments where they thought they were going to finally catch Nike with this big all in campaign mm-hmm. but because it's 25 years later there is this baked in conventional wisdom where everyone thinks this campaign was a huge bust because mm-hmm. and I'll and I'll divulge this here Dan does not make the Olympics right. right so you have this entire campaign built around the kicker of every ad is to be settled in Barcelona. Well, one of these guys doesn't even make it Mm -hmm. to Barcelona. And so everyone, as soon as that happened, people just like, they wrote it into the history books and said, okay, huge campaign, huge bust. There goes Reebok. They blew another shot at trying to catch Nike and we move on. Half of our documentary is kind of recreating that that crazy uh, moment. And -hmm. then half of our documentary is adding those layers of complexity and advancing the story by a few years. And just kind of like pulling back the camera a bit and saying there's a much more nuanced and complex and I think resonant story going Mm on
1: mm -hmm. um should we talk now about how much the Yankees suck and I say that (laughs) and I say that not actually knowing anything really about baseball but (laughs) but that I've seen the t-shirt
0: okay yes this T-shirt with this very simple logo kind of came to take over the Boston Red Sox uh, fandom and sort of the the area around Fenway Park starting in around 1999 and going into the early 2000s. And this uh, this was a story that kind of came our way. It was inspired by this great article in Grantland, which mm-hmm. is one of our fav- my favorite websites, and it was about this group of kids who made these T-shirts, um, and they're just like a remarkably um, – dysfunctional group of Boston <laughs> kids, uh, who are all tied up in the punk rock scene in Boston. So we're kind of trying to tell this small story about this group of punk kids and this larger story about you know what is probably the biggest rivalry in, in all of sports. If you look historically
2: at the Yankee Sox rivalry, they break our hearts and then they take our players.
4: As for Boston already bleeding, well, now their wound has just gotten deeper, with the news today that Roger Clemens will be wearing Yankee pinstripes.
2: It's like your girlfriend breaking up with you and then going out to date your best friend right you know, right in front of your eyes.
3: So how do we respond to our continued humiliation at the hands of the Yankees? With three syllables. Yankees suck,
5: Yankees suck, Yankees suck. It gave Red Sox fans some satisfaction. And it's got a nice cadence to it, you know, the two syllables followed by the one syllable. It's got a good punctuation to it. Exclamation point! Yankees suck!
1: It's basically telling the story of what's happening um, while the games are going on, but it's not Mm -hmm. the game itself. It's like if you actually shifted the camera over here, this is what you would see. You would see these guys like selling bootleg T-shirts as if it was um, if as if they were, you know, selling drugs on the corner, um, which I I thought was delightful because, I mean, so much of sports isn't just, you know, what is happening on the field or the court. It's everything on the periphery of, of the game itself.
0: Yeah, the sports and and the rivalry is really just a platform on which to kind of like glom on a lot of the other kind of things that matter in your life. Yeah,
1: I wonder um, why you think you know we we love these types of sports stories so much, even when most of us um, you know we've never been athletes of this caliber, um, we're not on the field. You know, why do do you think that sports have this ability to um, to ignite so much? passion and and interest?
0: (laughs) This is a very deep think question. Uh, At some fundamental level, it's a platform on which, you know, we can, there's a, there's a, it's a shortcut to have a collective experience. You know, a lot of the other things in our world where we look for affinity and we look for camaraderie and we look for, you know, a shared interest it takes, it takes work to kind of get on the same page with someone else and to really get to know them. Whereas if you just all kind of decide that you care about the same thing, and that thing yeah. happens to be a sports team, then you can go to like step two or three of your relationship yeah. and start to like, <laughs> you know, actually interact with each other. Um And so that I think, as fans is a huge part of this yeah. Um is, you know, just like, here's this shared space in which we can then be, you know, human beings interacting mm-hmm. with each other. And a lot of times that goes away from the game, as you said, and, and it's it's about the, you know, the other elements that we bring to that.
1: Jody Avergan is the host of ESPN's 30 for 30 podcast. To find out more info about the show, hit up biglisten.org. It's time for another super quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk to everyone's favorite reader, LeVar
5: Burton. For me, literacy is akin to being free. If you are literate in at least one language, then you have the wherewithal to be a lifelong reader. And a lifelong reader is, in my definition, a very dangerous individual.
1: That's coming up in a sec. Stick around. This is NPR.
2: Hey, it's David Green here. I hope you will start your day tomorrow with Up First. It's the morning news podcast from NPR. When news is moving really fast... Up First is a quick morning update on what happened. It's really what you need to start your day. So wake up with Up First tomorrow morning. You can find it on the Apple Podcast app on your phone.
0: Good evening, my name is Joe Bannerman and I'm calling from Nashville, Tennessee. And I wanted to recommend the Projection Booth Podcast
5: It is both entertaining and informative with great uh, discussion and great interviews with the people often who are involved in the films
0: being discussed.
2: On this special episode of The Projection Booth, we are discussing the 2000 film American Psycho, directed by Mary Heron. The film is based on the 1991 book by Brett Easton Ellis and stars Christian Bale as Patrick Bateman, a serial killer who hides behind a mask of normalcy in the yuppie world of the late 80s Manhattan. Now, we're going to be getting into spoilers when it comes to this film and the book and maybe even the musical. So if you haven't seen the movie and don't want it ruined, well... I'd suggest you turn off the podcast. That seems like the smartest thing to do.
0: There's not a better podcast out there. Thank you.
2: Bye.
1: Hey pals, welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober. And if you want to take after our pal Joe from Nashville and recommend your most favorite show, we welcome it. The pod line is 202-885-POD1. And we so would love to hear from you. Really, we would. All right, friends. It's that time again. We call it Listen Up, and it's the part of the show where we grill some pretty cool folks about what podcasts they are into these days. And today, we're checking in with LeVar Burton. If you don't know Burton from his decades on PBS's Reading Rainbow, you might remember him from his turn as Kunta Kinte in the original miniseries Roots, or his role as Lieutenant Commander Geordie LaForge on Star Trek The Next Generation.
5: By all rights, this connection should blow all the shuttle circuits. Perhaps you had better step out of the way. All right. But remember, you're not indestructible yourself, you know.
1: For our purposes, though, Burton is the host of the show LeVar Burton Reads. It's like reading Rainbow, but for adults. Each episode, Burton picks a short story to read aloud. And honestly, who doesn't want to be read to by
5: LeVar Burton? The fish came cresting up. It was narrow-bellied. When it rolled to cursor, the dark flesh sliding off to white before it reached the stomach. The eyes, when it lolled frontwards and ogled her, round as marbles.
1: LeVar Burton, host of LeVar Burton Reads, welcome to The Big Listen.
5: I'm so tickled to be on this show. I, you don't know. You don't even know.
1: Well, I am tickled that you're here. Um, I would like to talk to you a little bit about how you started this career as a kind of professional reader. Like, how did reading become your thing?
5: That's a, that's a pretty good question. As most of the delicious things in life happen, this is purely by happenstance. Mm-hmm. You know, the, my, my work on reading Rainbow for thirty-four years now, um, being an advocate and a, and a very um, vigorous and enthusiastic proponent of of reading literature and the written word, um, it, it has it's certainly contributed to it more than anything else. Though I, I simply love to read out loud, and mm-hmm. um, and I believe that we all love being read too. I love that intimacy mm-hmm. of telling a story to one person. And I think that, I guess that that, that sort of dynamic really evolved and, and developed throughout my career as the host of Reading Rainbow, you know, really trying to talk to one person through the camera lens and and really make what I was talking about, not only enthusiastic in terms of my, my engagement, but to really engage the viewer, mm-hmm. um, the, the listener, in an intimate experience. Once upon a time, there was a tortoise and a hare. Tortoise was friendly and quiet. He did everything slowly. Hare was flashy and rude. He did everything quickly. Hare liked to tease Tortoise about being so slow when Tortoise ate breakfast, Hare said, by the time you finish your last bite, it will be dinner time. Now, I'm wondering, um,
1: when did you realize that you really liked reading aloud? Because I I always loved reading aloud as a kid, but I didn't really have an audience. Like, you know, if I read to my parents or I read out loud or, you know, it was like... um. Like, oh, that's nice, cute, honey. Like, go into another room. You know, you're bothering us kind of thing. Um, or it's I like was always the, the kid in school who would, like, raise my hand in class. Like, oh, I'd like to read out loud. I'd like to read out yes. loud. But when did yes. you realize, like, that, you, that was something you really enjoyed?
5: I actually had a seminal experience when I was, like, in the second or the third grade. Um, in as much as there—my teacher, Mrs. Twig— um, used to love in the afternoons to, to go to the teacher's lounge and make herself a cup of tea. And I was the best reader in, in the class. Um, and she would uh, entrust the classroom to me. She would give me a book and a place to start. And for the 10 or so minutes she was gone to make her cup of tea, I would read to the class. And this happened fairly regularly. And And in and looking back on that experience I recognized that it was really the first time an adult outside of my family sort of really recognized something valuable in me and and engaged me for that value that I brought to the moment that I brought uh-huh. to the table it really cemented that as part of a part of my identity
1: Mm-hmm. And then did reading out loud for you sort of bleed into acting? I mean, it's all sort of performance, isn't it?
5: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, earlier in my career, before I became an actor, I was uh, studying for the priesthood. I was in, in the Catholic seminary. And so mm-hmm. reading and, 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 um, and public speaking, orating, I mean, it was all a part of that world that I was immersed in. And it was while I was in the seminary that I discovered theater arts and and acting for the first time, and it 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 changed my life. I mean, it it literally changed the direction of mm-hmm. my life away from mm-hmm. the clergy and into performing arts.
1: Right, right. I want to talk about uh, your podcast now, but I have I was wondering, like, okay. You have a Grammy, you have many other awards, daytime Emmys, you have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, like you probably did not need to also do a podcast. I mean, you know, you're not uh you're not hurting for fame and fortune um not that a podcast is the direct route to
5: that yeah i I question your linkage there
1: (laughs) although i don't know i'm pretty famous and i have a lot of fortune so um no but i'm wondering like what was what was the inspiration for that and especially to shift then from um you know from engaging children on the on the reading literature front to engaging adults although i guess kids could listen too
5: Well, it's really, really very simple. My motivations for doing the podcast are that I wanted to do something that I could sink my passion into. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm here in Room 24 and here on Kickstarter so that together we can bring Reading Rainbow back for every child, everywhere. One of the things I learned doing the, the Kickstarter back in 2014 was that there was an army of adults now who grew up on Reading Rainbow, who... Treasured that experience. It was like yeah. a, a part of their childhood that just was sweet. And mm-hmm. when they when they came out in in such large numbers, 105,000 of them donated to the Reading Rainbow Kickstarter wow. at the time. That was a record for for crowdfunding. Um, it 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 opened my eyes that mm-hmm. this was an audience that was still with me even though they had moved on in age they were they were we were still attached Mm -hmm. right um and and so i really began to think in earnest about how i could serve that audience how i could reconnect um with content that that audience would enjoy and and the podcast turned out to be the ideal the ideal thing the alien and the boy who was 12 sat in the windowless room high above the city that afternoon. The boy talked, and the alien listened. The boy was ordinary. The jeans of three continents in his features, his clothes cut in the style of all boys in the vast housing project called LAX. The alien was something else. Awful to behold, and though the boy knew it was rude, he did not look up as he talked. He wanted the alien to kill a man. He said, "It was that simple."
1: Now, are you um, are you reading all the time, or do you get a chance to listen to some other podcasts um, in addition to your own?
5: Right now, I'm I'm reading a lot. Um, but in being new to this world of podcasts, I am discovering other voices that I'm I'm digging uh-huh. that I want to hear. You know, yeah. I'm just I'm in love with this podcast Ear Hustle. Uh, yes, that's recorded at San Quentin.
3: Okay, so Black's gone. You have a new cellie that the prison put in with you, but you're still going to be looking around, right?
5: Actually, it's a trip because. The celly that I have now is temporary. He's about to leave. I don't want a celly, but I got to go find one because if I leave it to custody, they'll just throw anybody in the cell with me. Somebody that I'm not compatible with. So I have to find someone that I'm compatible with.
3: It's really like dating. I mean, some of the things that you talk, I know. It's
5: not like dating, Nigel.
3: (laughs) There are a lot of similarities there's
5: I can't even look at it that way Nigel <laughs> I
3: knew you wouldn't be able to. that's why I hesitated no but it, it is up. it's a relationship yeah. it is a relationship yeah and so that's why the idea of dating comes up because there isn't any other time where two adults are expected to live in such close proximity
5: so you have to be peaceful you don't have to talk again just amazing amazing storytelling um mm-hmm. uh, and it's all it's all real you know, it's all mm-hmm. real. So some of those, some of those podcasts are, are really enjoyable. You know.
1: Yeah. Before I let you go, I would love to ask you if, if you would do me a little, uh, if you would indulge me. I wanted to know if you could say, but you don't have to take my word for it.
5: Of course, but you don't have to take my word for it.
1: <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> You've probably only said it about 10,000 times in your entire life. <laughs>
5: but I say I say it all the time. I say it all the time.
1: <laughs> and, and are your friends and family like, oh, Lavar? Yeah, I know. We don't have to take your word for it.
5: <laughs> yes, they are. On Twitter, people say, you know what? I, I always did take your word for it. It's <laughs> that's t-
1: that's
5: true. I always did.
1: That's true. Of course, people took your word for it because it was like gospel, especially when you're a kid, you know.
5: But the importance for me of that phrase is that I always encouraged the audience to find out for themselves, pick up a book, yeah. take a look. Right. That right. you see, for me, literacy is akin to being free. Yeah. If you are literate in at least one language, then you have the wherewithal to be a lifelong reader. And yeah. a lifelong reader is, in my definition, a very dangerous individual. We live in an era where alternate facts are a part of our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. So not taking my word for it or anybody's word for it for that matter is really important to me because you cannot have a functioning democracy Unless you have an informed electorate.
4: Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading rainbow.
1: LeVar Burton is the host of LeVar Burton Reads from Stitcher. To learn more about his show or any of the shows he recommended, check out biglisten.org. It's got the details. Well, we've almost reached the end of this week's episode. It's true, but don't be sad. Before we let you go, it's time for... Chartography! Chartography is our 60-second mapping of the Apple podcast charts. But we're not looking at number one or even number 100. We're looking at number 289. And if your podcast has reached number 289, go buy yourself an ice cream and pat yourself on the back. Because that is pretty great. Okay, so this week... Was oh boy, where's my notebook? Just came back from vacation. Like okay, this week's 289 is a show called no, not, not, not Too Deep with Grace Helbig. Yay! Um, apparently she is some type of YouTube star. Yay! And she started a YouTube channel a while ago. Apparently she was she was babysitting some kids and she got bored and she just started making a vlog. Yay! A video blog. About being a babysitter and then now she's famous or something. So um, so now she has a podcast that is also a YouTube show with her co-host, this guy named Jack F E R R Y, like the boat you take across a body of water. Uh, the episode that I listened to was, was about embracing your geekdom. We are embracing Embrace Your Geekness Day. Jack dressed up as Steven Spielberg.
2: Kind of a Steven Spielberg y kind of cosplay.
1: Then they had a, a segment called um, What Were You Thinking in This Post? And it's basically where they interrogate each other's social media um, and make fun of them for it. Yes.
2: I went back into your segment. Social media. Oh, yep. And I found uh, this tweet from yes. May 28th.
1: I know this is sounding so fascinating right now, um, the way I'm describing it, but literally this is how um, the show actually unfolds. Um, anyway, I'm assuming if you are a fan of YouTube celebrities like Grace Helbig, you already know about this show, but if you want to get in on the ground floor of YouTube fame, then maybe this is a great place to start. Want to listen to The Big Listen on the go? Well, you can. Just go to Apple Podcasts or NPR One or any fine purveyor of podcasts and hit subscribe. Then we will be creeping into your feed like weirdos each week automatically. Just kidding. We won't be weird, but it will be automatic. Also, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Here Big Listen. That's H-E-A-R Big Listen. I promise you we're more fun than a French military parade playing a daft punk medley. If you want to send us love notes, we are currently accepting them at biglisten at biglistenatwamu.org. The show today was produced by Jacob Fenston, Daisy Rosario, Ponce Rutch, and Camila Salazar. Jake Cherry mixed the show. I, Lauren Ober, was stuck in a vigorous handshake with a world leader. David Schulman composed the theme music. Other music in the show came from Army-Navy, the band, not the store. Special thanks to Timmy Olmstead and Al Reynolds for always giving us a boost. The Big Listen is the brainchild of boss lady Andy McDaniel and her boss man J.J. Yore and is produced by WAMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America. And now a few final thoughts from Ingrid Jungerman, writer, director, and star of the feature film Women Who Kill about a pair of true crime podcasters. It's a cautionary tale of sorts for anyone trying to make a podcast. Don't get too wrapped up in it because it could get dangerous.
3: I think specifically this podcast that they do overtakes them completely. And they become essentially the people that they are interviewing in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it all becomes sort of this neurotic mess where essentially in the end, Morgan and Gene, sort of their end is also of their own making.
1: Right. Their, their end could be on their podcast. But we can't talk yes. about that because that's a twist, secret twist. We can't talk <laughs> about that. We don't want to spoil everything. Yes,
3: that's true. <laughs> I was trying to be vague about the end.
1: If you want to know what happens, you will just have to see the movie. You will get no spoilers from me. Thanks for hanging out, friends. Till next time, keep listening, America. This is NPR.